welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Sources tell Bloomberg that special counsel Robert Mueller is getting ready to fast-track his investigation into possible collusion between Donald Trump's presidential campaign and Russians, with indictments possible by the fall. Former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper explained the significance of that issue on Bloomberg earlier this month. What Bob Mueller and his team are doing is, is extremely important for the country. There's a cloud, I think, that's over the nation, particularly with respect to the issue of collusion. And the, I think the only hope for actually resolving that one way or the other is through uh, the special counsel investigation. My guest is Jimmy Garulli, a professor at Notre Dame Law School. Jimmy, the reports are that Mueller is first going to resolve whether there was obstruction of justice. Why break up the investigation that way? Well, I think that the obstruction of justice charge, first of all, it's much more manageable. You know, it involves a, a single statute or and 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 incidents involving uh, the president's conduct, and so I think it would be easier to uh, to charge rather than going into the the collusion, Russian collusion issue, which, by the way, could involve multiple uh, former members of the of the Trump campaign. There's been at least uh, 13 individuals that have been identified with engaging in suspicious activities involving the Russians. So, so that's much broader. It's more, much more complex. And, and therefore, the obstruction, I think, is just an easier charge to, uh, to uh, allege and, and, and to prove in this case. We know that Trump has said no collusion over and over again. But there have been those suspicious contacts that you mentioned, and enough to set off alarms among U.S. intelligence officials earlier. What's the case for collusion? Well, again, there's no actual uh, crime of collusion. Instead, it would be conspiracy would be the, the charge, and whether or not it's, it's conspiracy under the, the general conspiracy statute. So conspiring against the United States, uh, conspiring to violate the um, federal campaign laws would be another example of, of the type of conspiracy or slash collusion, collusion charge that... Uh, that Mueller would be considering and investigating. But again, it's important to note that there's no charge, there's no federal charge of collusion. It would be conspiracy to violate some other federal federal crime. And will you explain what it takes to prove that someone's involved in a conspiracy? Yes, conspiracy, the, the essential element is an agreement. There has to, to be an agreement between two or more people to engage in criminal conduct, to violate some some criminal statute, to commit a crime. And so, uh, again, it, it, that the agreement can be proven through circumstantial evidence. I mean, it doesn't have to be a uh, proven through, uh, l- let's say, surveillance or electronic uh, surveillance that, sh- that, that indicates two people agree you know so it's not doesn't require proving yes let's violate this statute you and I let's commit this crime but it can be inferred from from the surrounding facts and circumstances of the case we've discussed this before but in April Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein told Trump he was not a target of the Mueller investigation how does that statement fit in here 
Well, it's it's uh, simply limited to that point in time. A- at that particular point in time, that was the case. That was the view of the former director of the uh, of the FBI. But evidence uh, that's been collected since then could have changed that that situation or that view. Or perhaps it's still the same uh, even today. But uh, eventually, it's going to be the evidence that has been recovered, uncovered through this investigation. That's going to be uh, that's going to be telling. So it's certainly not binding uh, on, on the Department of Justice. It's simply a, a snapshot uh, at that particular point in time. Now, there are reports that Mueller has called in some new prosecutors to work on the part of the investigation, sort of spinning off the part of the investigation that pertains to the Russian firms that he previously indicted. What does that tell you if he's spinning that part off? Is that a difficult part? Well, I think it's, it, it tells you a little bit about the focus of, of the investigation and uh, and uh, the, 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 that particular aspect of the investigation may require a particular skill set, particular expertise that these particular uh, investigators or lawyers have based upon their 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 prior practice or perhaps when they were former uh, federal prosecutors so it's, it is telling in, in in one sense as to the direction and focus of the investigation and again the the skills and the experience that's needed to develop that aspect of the investigation more fully now tell me if this is telling as well Senator Mark Warner a Democrat from Virginia hosted a dinner party Friday and said apparently and and Trump has responded to this. Um, if you get me one more glass of wine, I'll tell you stuff only Bob Mueller and I know. And buckle up, it's going to be a wild couple of months. And Trump picked up on that in, in one of his his tweets. Well, what does it tell you that a U.S. senator is saying something like that, and he's on the intelligence committee? Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to, you know, as to as to how much should be read into that. I mean, that that, that again could be simply maybe some boastful, uh, loose language again at a at a dinner party, and 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 perhaps maybe there, there there's not all that much to it. But perhaps it could also be an indication that that uh, Department of Justice has been keeping members of the uh, of the Senate Intelligence Committee updated on the development and progress of the investigation and that would of course require disclosing some of some of the 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 information regarding the the scope of the investigation the focus of the investigation the progress of the investigation and so maybe the senator was was referring to that but again it's very unfortunate that he would make that type of a of a statement in public that that uh, again might be prejudicial or might be, you know, might tip off uh, targets of the investigation and uh, and probably a statement that should have been made. Now, um, Michael Cohen, the, the name, you know, of Trump's personal lawyer, former personal lawyer, uh, keeps coming up and there are all kinds of rumors that he is mm-hmm. going to cooperate. Is that moving a little bit slowly? I, I don't think so. In fact, there's a recent report that the first of all that there was over three million items of evidence that were seized by federal investigators when they conducted the uh, executed the search warrant at um, Michael Cohen's uh, office and uh, and then of course there the, the federal judge required that, that that those items be examined to determine if any of those involved attorney client or attorney client privilege information and the latest is of that approximately 3.7 million dollar uh, million items seized only 161 of those were 
were recommended to the judge, and the judge agreed that they were protected attorney-client information. So again, well over 3 million items are not protected. And so the question, and, and therefore they're going to be disclosed to the prosecution, and the question is, of those items, do any of those items reveal any illegal activity between Michael Cohen and, and uh, President Trump? Thank you, Jimmy. That's Jimmy Garule, a professor at Notre Dame Law School, to be continued. A big win for the Trump administration in one of the highest profile cases of the year and one of the most contentious issues. The Supreme Court upheld Trump's travel ban against a broad legal attack. The vote was five to four along ideological grounds with the conservative justices in the majority. Joining me is Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Greg, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote for the majority. Tell us about the essence of his opinion. Hi, June. <clears throat> yeah, the essence of his decision is uh, notwithstanding claims that he made uh, discriminatory comments toward, toward Muslims in the campaign and, and after he became president, uh, he said, we generally afford the president very broad discretion in dealing with these questions about who can come into the country. This was a policy that went through multiple agencies. It has a lot of detail in it, and we are going to defer to the president uh, in this area because uh, it is generally an area where Congress wants the president to decide, and we want to defer in terms of what he thinks about the national security interests of the country. Justice is Stephen Breyer and Sonia Sotomayor read their dissents from the bench, which is rare. And I understand that Justice Sotomayor was, some said, furious. Yeah, she is both in, in her words on the bench and uh, uh, in the opinion itself, she was very pointed. She, she likened the decision to the uh, 1944 Korematsu decision, where the Supreme Court upheld the government's policy of interning Japanese Americans during World War II. Um, she uh, invoked, you know, talked about all the, the individual people that this will, this policy will harm. In her view, uh, interestingly, it was a dissent that was joined only by one other justice, that was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justices Breyer and Kagan, uh, dissented on, on different and, and somewhat less pointed grounds. You mentioned the Korematsu decision and the dissenters comparing that to Trump's policy. Chief Justice Roberts took umbrage at that, to say the least. Tell us what he said about that. Yeah, so he he said that there that the two things are not the same. Uh, the chief justice and I'm gonna I'm gonna find find the part in the opinion here so I can quote quote it directly for you. But essentially, he said. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Korematsu was a morally repugnant order to a facially new. Uh, uh, um, he called that a morally repugnant order. He said it's not like this, which is a, a neutral policy that just denies some people the privilege of coming into the country. He also said, he essentially said, now that you mention Korematsu, which has never formally been overruled, he said that decision was gravely wrong the day it was decided and has no place in the law uh, under the Constitution. So he disavowed the Korematsu decision and said this is different. Well, President Trump has called the Supreme Court decision a tremendous victory. We're going to hear his comments in a few moments and said, of course, he'll go ahead with the travel ban. He also proclaimed that the Supreme Court has upheld the clear authority of the president to defend the national security of the United States. That was in a written statement. How far did the court go in upholding presidential authority? Well, 
pretty far, but, but the court had already gone pretty far. This is an area where, if you look at the immigration laws, um, they're pretty clear that the president has very broad authority to decide who can come into the country and can exclude uh, classes of people if the president deems it to be in the national security interest. The, I think the way to look at this case was, um, you know, is there an exception to that general rule in this particular case where you have a president who uh, has prohibited uh, 150 million people from even qualifying for the possibility of entry into the country, and where he has made some comments that suggest that he was targeting Muslims uh, with this order. Uh, the Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to make an exception. So the broad authority that presidents get over who comes into the country uh, applies to President Trump as well. Now, this was, as I mentioned, a 5-4 split down uh, ideological lines. And we've seen in these final cases of the term, which tend to be the most controversial, we've seen that same split. Does that tell you anything, Greg? Yeah, you know, there were a lot of cases this term, June, that could have been ideologically divisive. Some of them the court sort of uh, resolved on very narrow grounds and avoided the ideological split. So I'm thinking about the, the partisan gerrymandering case and the case involving the baker who didn't want to make a cake for same-sex weddings. Those were decided pretty narrowly and didn't end up with that sort of split. But yes, we're getting to the end of the term, and in the more recent cases, including this one, possibly including one we'll get tomorrow, um, also including the second, uh, second ruling today involving uh, 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 pregnancy clinics that, that oppose abortion. Uh, the court has been divided five to four with the five conservatives uh, on the Victoria side. All right. Thanks so much, Greg. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.